Okay, we're on the phone with Rogan Graham of uh, the Hubway in Boston and it's Boston's new bike share program. How you doing? Good. How are you guys doing today? Rogan Graham. That's right. Rogan Graham from Hubway and uh, we're, I'm just happy to be here today. So want to answer some questions about uh, bike sharing. And... Okay, well, maybe <laughs> you could just tell us like as if we're a stranger to Boston and tell us what it means to Boston to have this new bike sharing program. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, Boston's needed something like this for, for quite some time. I mean, we've we've been pushing uh, over the last number of years to make Boston more of a bike-friendly city. Uh, when I say we, I mean, you know, not, <laughs> groups that we're, we're uh, associated with, Boston Bikes, uh, it's run by Nicole Friedman out of the mayor's office, uh, has done an, an, amazing job, an, an amazing job of getting things going and making the streets of Boston much more safe. Uh, groups like Livable Streets uh, have been bringing in uh, bike lanes over the last number of years, and... Um, you know, back in 2007, Boston was was ranked one of the worst cities uh, to bike in in the United States. I think we got dead last uh, a couple of years in a row, and um, that's when Mayor Menino made it a priority to, to make cycling in Boston um, not only safer, but you know, much more important as far as uh, transportation goes. Uh, you know, exercise, uh, clean energy, uh, biking in Boston is is uh, it's important, and, and the mayor has has uh, has backed that up. So. Uh, Hubway launched just three and a half weeks ago, and uh, the Hubway is a bike sharing system. So the idea is that you can pick up and drop off bikes uh, by swiping either your annual membership or a credit card. And uh, you know we have 600 bikes, 61 locations. So the idea is that it's you know it's, it's a bicycle when you want one, uh, but a lot of people in Boston have uh, have a need for bikes at some point in their day, and uh, but they don't necessarily want to have to worry about locking them one up or lugging it up and down stairs in, in some of the uh, the apartments in the city. And so this is a way that you can just carry a simple keychain and, and be able to access bikes uh, all over town uh, anytime you want. Okay, so can you give us kind of a, uh, like a visual idea of how it works for a person? Yes. So, so basically um, each of the stations in different parts of the city um, are long uh, metal rows uh, of docking points. They call them docking points. So each bike has a unique feature. Uh, right on the front of it, so just above the front tire, uh, that actually uh, inserts into each docking point and actually is a, a place where the system can lock that bike. So you would walk up and, and swipe your credit card or swipe your, your annual membership and just pull the bike out. And um, these bikes are built pretty tough. They're, uh, they're pretty heavy, but they are three-speed bicycles. Uh, a lot of folks ask if they're uh, electric bikes because they do have a unique look. Um, but they're built to be very, very tough, and they're just they're three-speed pedal bikes that um, have a nice big rack on the front for a briefcase or a backpack or a purse and uh, running LED lights. So when the, the passenger is in motion, when the wheels are turning, uh, the lights are blinking. They are safe bikes. They have fenders. So there's no worry about, you know, uh, biking off to work. Uh, a lot of commuters use us coming out of uh, some of the main commuter hubs, North Station, South Station, uh, Back Bay, T Station. And, um, you know, you don't even have to roll up your pants uh, to keep them from getting uh, bike grease because the, the bike is so, uh, it's so efficient that, you know, anyone in any outfit could just jump on and, and give it a try. And, and you know, what makes bike sharing beautiful is that, you know, so many people, even here in the first three and a half weeks, you know, have jumped back on and said, you know, I haven't ridden a bike in years. And, you know, we have new members every day. So uh, that's kind of what it looks like. That's what our hubway bikes look like. You probably see them around town. They they're gray and black. They have big New Balance logos, uh, 
and our main insignia is on the step-through frame. It's a big green letters that say Hubway, and of course our our green Hubway H logo as well. Is Hubway like a, a part of the? It's not part of the Boston city government. It's part of the uh, private company partnership, right? That's right. That's right. The money was raised from a number of different sponsors and. You'll see sponsor names on different uh, station locations, so above the maps, and uh, you'll also see the, the names of many of our sponsors on the bikes. Uh, our biggest logo is, of course, New Balance, uh, who was our biggest financial uh, supporter, and um, you know that's actually where we were we were setting up the entire installation was out of a, a gigantic warehouse over there in Brighton, right next to the New Balance headquarters, and uh, they, amongst all of our. Uh, Sponsors and supporters, New Balance has been uh, it's been a huge huge push to make uh, Hubway possible. So, yeah, if you take a look at one of the bikes when you see them, you know, pass by, you'll notice some of the people, some of the uh, the names who are associated with making this thing happen. So, how are people reacting to it? How are people in Boston? Uh, you know, how, how's it working? Yeah, you know, it's 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 been pretty great. Uh, you know, we do have systems in other parts of the country and other parts of the world, and you know, each city is so different. Um, you know, the biking culture here in Boston is one that, you know, is either going to jump on board or, you know, uh, or not. And we, we found an overwhelming support from people that are already uh, biking commuters. And uh, for folks that haven't been on bikes in years and they want to try it out, it's been a hit as well. Um, you know, we we, uh, we just last week, late last week, we just hit our uh, our 2,000th member. And uh, so that's an annual member. And... Um, we're uh, we're feeling pretty good about that. Whenever we have uh, a huge push of annual members in any city, uh, it just shows that the city is buying in and the locals really believe in it. So uh, the annual membership is also just folks who want to try the system, and uh, a lot of tourists will use it to see, see Boston. Uh, and those numbers have been great as well. I mean, the weather's been pretty nice here this summer in Boston. So um, we're pretty happy. We're not even to a month yet, and, and uh, people are pretty psyched about it. Well, I know that I was just in Boston um, on my vacation, and I actually went by Fenway, and it was a great way to see Fenway. And um, yeah, and it and it was only it was it's like five dollars for the day, and that's for even if you don't have a membership. Yeah, so there's there's two ways to become a member at Hubway. Um, we have what's called a casual membership, which is which is great for people that just want to try the system, or maybe you live outside the city, or you you live in a different part of the world, and you want you just want to see Boston. Uh, and the casual membership can just be had by walking up to any of the stations, which are solar-powered, and uh, swiping a credit card, uh, a master visa card, uh, so that the system has a way of uh, of charging you your fee. Uh, and it is five bucks a day. And if you keep the rides under 30 minutes, there's no extra charges. Um, the one thing that uh, is a little bit confusing for some folks is that there are usage fees. So um, the longer you keep the bike, the more expensive it is. And uh, we really push for folks to do, uh, you know, what we call station hopping. So you're you're always keeping an eye out for a new station so that when you get close to 20, 25, almost 30 minutes, you, you drop it off and you swipe your credit card again, which doesn't charge you another five. It just uh, lets that system recognize you. And you take a new bike and you refresh your 30 minutes. So uh, that's the smartest way to use Hubway. Um, the other casual membership is a three-day, uh, and that costs 12 bucks. It's the same deal, usage fees apply. And then the only other way to, to use the Hubway is to be an annual member, and uh, that's actually the best deal uh, because you don't you don't have to worry about swiping a credit card, you don't have to worry about uh, you know printing out codes at the station. You just use the keychain that we send you in the mail, and that that system is uh, 
is set up so that when you swipe that keychain at any of the docking points, the uh, the station knows it's you. You could release the bike, and off you go. And um, right now, uh, we're running an introductory offer for sixty bucks for the whole year, and uh, it's usually eighty-five dollars. So uh, twenty-five bucks off, and all the street team events that we do, we're actually giving away helmets uh, or T-shirts for anyone who signs up in person. So today, for example, we're out at Greenfest at City Hall Plaza, and uh, people are coming out. They follow us on Facebook. They follow us on Twitter. They know where we're going to be. And, uh, you know, 60 bucks for an annual membership, having a keychain, uh, getting a free helmet, and just kind of being a part of the gang. It's been uh, pretty exciting for a lot of people. So uh, that's pretty much how the, the rates work and, and how it's working so far. Cool. Well, um Brogan, thank you very much for calling. And um, tell us how to get in touch with uh, you guys, how to find out more. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, again, all the information that you would need, a map of where the locations are, how the rates work, even how to sign up for an annual membership is all happening at www.thehubway.com. And um, that's got all the FAQs. That's got all the insides and outs of of bike sharing, how it works, uh, our other systems, our contact. Um, You have any complaints, any questions? Uh, our email addresses are on there. And, um, and again, for locals who are considering signing up, um, we're only going to have the $60 introductory offer uh, for a limited time. So pay attention to us on Facebook. Pay attention to us on Twitter. And um, you can show up at any of our street locations and get, get some free gifts and uh, become a part of this thing. So that's Hubway. Wow. Thanks, Brogan. Brogan Graham from Hubway. Have a great day. Thank you very much. Have a good one. So that was Brogan Graham from the Hubway. Hubway is Boston's new bicycle sharing program. And here's uh, Bicycle Man. Hey, Bicycle Man is what I am. I'm proud to be. What's my style? Well, for a second, he's a daddy. Wait, I want a penny yard, 21 bucks. One wheel in the air, we don't pay, we really, really. You can turn on the avenue. Saw this girl that looks on my new. Hey, girl, how was the day? Hey, hey. Looked at me and listened what she said. She, she said she don't want no bicycle man. Well, she is looking for a car man who wanna drive some minivan. I looked at her and smiled a while. Hey, she realized a little like her style. Cause bicycle man is what I am in proud to be. Watch my style when we're stuck and dilly dally. Whether one a penny or twenty one pussy. One we in the air, we don't pay, we really, really. The next day, she see me in a motor car. Flag me down, ask me if I'm going far. I looked at her, do you remember yesterday? She looked at me, and this is what she had to say. Said she don't want no bicycle man. Oh, she is looking for a car, man, I want to drive a minivan. I looked at her, and smile a while, eh? She realized didn't like her style. Cause bicycle man, that's what I am, in front of me. Who what from style, well, we're like a silly dialy. Who would I want up in your 21 party? Fun, we in the air, we don't play, we really, we. I'm riding, riding, big crystal Yeah, so that was uh, Bicycle Man. Now we're going to play an interview with Roadblock, who is the one of the founders of Midnight Riders. So it's really important for that reason. And another reason why... Um, He's also very important in the bike scene is because he has been keeping the Midnight Riders website going for years. He talks about those things, those facets of his involvement with biking. And he also talks about the K-Town ride, the crash, 
where 11 people were put in the hospital by a drunk driver who was texting on the, one of the Midnight Riders rides, the Kush ride. And he also talks about a lot of different things, a lot of different aspects of his involvement in biking in L.A. So it's a long interview, and we may take breaks, but here it is, Roadblock on Bike Talk, killradio.org, kpfk.org. Okay, could you introduce yourself, please? I'm Roadblock, uh, founding founding member of Midnight Riders. And what is Midnight Riders? Midnight Riders is a uh, it's a group ride that that uh, started about seven years ago with eight people, and we uh, at the time there was there was nothing really going on with bikes. Um, and we just decided to go do like a, you know, a little group bike ride around Los Angeles. So nothing's going on around bikes, and you are a, what kind of a rider were you at the time, and what year was this? This was 2004. I mean, I don't want to say nothing is going on with bikes. I think I'm sure there was like messenger culture and LA Critical Mass was going on, but from what I understand, it was like maybe 10 to 20 people. Um, Whereas now, you know, there's four or five rides happening every night. The critical mass here is now 1,500 people. Um, so, you know, seven years ago, there wasn't a whole lot of bike riding going on with the general population. I think now that um, now that this group ride thing is really taken off, I think uh, your average citizen who didn't think about bike riding before is now starting to think about bikes and there's I see a lot more people riding bikes on the street I think so do you think this is a movement that includes midnight riders and how how much did midnight riders have to do with creating this I, I personally I, I think that midnight riders had a lot to do with it because you know from that first night that we rode it wasn't there wasn't any kind of political message there wasn't any kind of you know we weren't even trying to get people to get out of their cars or anything like that we were just exploring we were just having some fun i mean i did it on a skateboard i wasn't even i rode i had a bike but it wasn't um something i did every day um you know every once in a while i go down to the beach and ride bikes or something but after that particular ride um i did bring my bike to the next one because it was so fun um that we had another midnight ride the next in, in two weeks later so um and that second ride you know it was like all eight of us invited more people and all of a sudden we had 30 people come out and that made it even more fun because you know wow we're actually riding with a bunch of friends and exploring los angeles and seeing it like we never saw it before you know just in the open air and uh it was it was uh you know it's just it's something new, something new to do. It wasn't, it wasn't like I said, like it wasn't a political thing, and uh, so it was just, it was, it was fun. And can you just describe more, with more detail, the origin of that first night ride? So my friend Kim Jensen, she's the one that actually invented the name Midnight Riders and the concept, and she, her handle is Skull. She's known as Skull. She became known as Skull in the Midnight Riders kind of scene. So she sent out an email, and, and she called the first ride the Downtown Fountain Tour, and she mapped out 
this route from her apartment um, down Sunset and into downtown, and we visited <clears throat> these fountains in downtown I'd never even considered before. It was There was one on uh, Broadway. There was one over at the Disney Center. There was one at the DWP building and a couple others I can't remember, but we did this route that kind of snaked around and at each fountain we just kind of camped out a little bit and you know just talked and uh, you know I, th I think she even told us a little bit about each fountain the history of it and so forth which added another element to the ride uh, the first route was 18 miles um, did it all on skateboard my friend I brought my friend Trev who also did it on skateboards and they were on bikes so it was a little bit of lag time between uh, us and and catching up with the the ride which she also right from the beginning it was no ride I left behind so you know it was that's another thing that made it fun was everybody waited for each other and and uh, there was nobody downtown I mean you you know the streets were empty so it was like our little playground it was really fun and we ended at a bar. We ended at the Little Joy on Sunset. Cool. Was this before No Child Left Behind? No, No Child Left Behind. <laughs> uh, maybe it was. Maybe it was kind of based on that. I don't know. When did When did that come out? No Child Left Behind. Um, was this before Critical Mass? Well, like I said, Critical Mass was happening. You know, I'd heard about Critical Mass. But it was like 10, 15 riders at the time. It was a small, a small thing that was happening. And um, I actually learned about Critical Mass through Midnight Riders. So I never had a chance to actually go on it. But it was like at 6 o'clock or something at Silver Lake and Sunset. And I could just never make it out there on time because I was working. But uh, it was... It was kind of like this alternate critical mass. It was like, in it, like everything that I'd ever heard about critical mass, which turned out to not really be true, was that it was this political, kind of angry ride, like a protest ride. You know, those are the kind of things that you get, you know, from the media. That it's it's like a protest and like a, you know, a bunch of anarchists on bikes, and you know, pumping their fists in the air and. It's really not like that. I mean, if you go to Critical Mass in San Francisco, which is, I guess, where it started, it's the same thing as Midnight Riders. It's people just having fun, just cruising and, and having a blast. So it's just the difference between Midnight Riders and Critical Mass was Midnight Riders happened at 10 o'clock at night on a Friday, and Critical Mass happened during rush hour. So in my mind, Midnight Riders took off because in our city people are driving to work and you know it's the amount of bike riders at the time was so so small that it just wasn't gonna you weren't gonna get people to come out unless it was like after work you know you drive home you eat take a shower and then it's time to go out well let's go do it out let's go do it on a bike you know it was kind of a new concept for people i think was Midnight Riders different in, in spirit? Was it more of a kind of a crazy party ride than Critical Mass, or was Critical Mass like that too? 
Well, like I said, I don't know how the critical mass was at the time for L.A., but Midnight Riders was a party ride for sure. I mean, people dressed up in costumes. There was a different theme every month. Um, it was They were getting really elaborate with it, too. It was like Skull... We had we had a group called the Mamas and the Papas, and we were the sort of caretakers of the ride and the ones that would come up with themes and routes and uh, you know uh, help the ride. If people had flats, we try to keep everybody together together with the No Ride I Left Behind slogan, and uh, you know uh, I think by the the uh, you know tenth or eleventh ride, we were up to 150, 200 people, because it was just it was a party, it was just something else to do other than drive to a bar and or go to a club. It was like this adventure, you know. You felt like you were a kid again. And at the time, the 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 crowd was a little older than it is now. I mean, the way that this ride has taken off with uh, youngsters is is insane. I mean, you see like you know all kinds of different groups riding bikes, but you see a ton of youngsters out there taking on taking the the bike riding thing and running with it. So. I kind of wish we had video so we could like cut back and forth and show all that. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, if you look at critical mass now, you know, like I said, it's about fifteen hundred people, and it's it's mostly. You know, from what I see, it's inner city kids, it's youngsters, a lot of teenagers. Um, there's a lot of males and a lot of teenagers, inner city kids, and and they're really into this fixed gear thing, and it's it's beautiful. I mean, it's it's like it's the new skateboarding. You know, it's 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 a uh, it's great. And so, what are the numbers up to now? Uh, numbers on any particular ride or so midnight ride is, is now not just one ride well what happened with midnight riders was we went for about what two years and that thing grew into almost 2,000 riders by the last the last two rides before we had the big meltdown was something like 1,500 to 2,000 riders and it was the only ride happening every month um, and it, it just grew into this massive beast that was no longer manageable. It was, you know, cars had to wait at lights for, I mean, four or five light cycles just for everybody to get through. Um, there was a lot of aggressive, um, behavior happening because people would take advantage of the mass and they'd, you know, get into fights with car, car drivers and, that was one thing that Midnight Riders never, ever was, was we, we never promoted the idea of cars versus bikes. It was always, um, come join us, you know, get, you know, next time. Like, we'd see car drivers, and they'd, you know, stick their head out the window. Like, What's going on? What is this? And we're like, it's Midnight Riders. Come join us, you know. Come on out, you know. And it was always promoting respect for the neighborhoods, for the car drivers. Come and join us. And it once we started getting into a thousand and fifteen hundred people, even before that, when it was like you know five hundred people, it was just it was starting to get aggressive. It was it was there was starting to be conflict with the drivers. So 
we didn't know exactly how to take care of that problem. And it got to this point where <clears throat> we had this meeting of the mamas and the papas. And it was at Kim's house. And we were just, you know, almost everybody there was like, we got to end this. Let's, let's, let's uh, abandon ship because this is getting too crazy. Um, there was, you know, uh, a, a lot of people just wanted to just walk away from it. There was a few people that were saying, why don't we convert this thing into critical mass? You know, let's start calling it critical mass or change the time. And I was like so bummed because that was... Was there an incident that triggered this? There was a few incidents. There were fights. There were, um, you know, fights with car drivers. There was police. I mean... It was it was just getting so unruly and and you you couldn't even come up with a theme that would accommodate you know fifteen hundred people. I mean we had themes like uh, you know Skull came up with this uh, dead theater ride where we'd visit all these theaters that were no longer around and and at one stop they would they actually created a performance you know her and, and a couple other girls performed for the crowd and then. You know, there was another place where we had a projector projecting a movie and, you know, and it just wasn't possible anymore because it was so massive. You couldn't, you couldn't direct the uh, audience anymore. It was just too crazy. So, um, like I said, like when we had that meeting. So you gave up on themes? Well, the themes had to become these themes that you, you know, it didn't have any kind of like orchestrated stops i mean the stops were you know stopping in a parking lot and then resting and then moving and and drinking and smoking and drinking and doing all that kind of stuff you know that 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 thousands of people do every night in the city of los angeles except we just do it on bikes and in a parking lot instead of in a club at you know hollywood and coenga so it was just normal activities but but on bikes and uh, so like I said like people were talking about ending the ride and um, it was my favorite thing to do every month I was I was so looking forward to this thing to do every month I was the, huge, the biggest fan I think of Midnight Riders I organized a couple rides and I'd help out and everything but I wasn't like a I wasn't like one of the major organizers I was just like a just a huge fan and when when they talked about ending it, I was like, no, 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 no. Let's let's put up. You know, I have this other website, a community website. I've already like dealt with developing community websites, so I just saw it as an opportunity to put up a Midnight Riders website and develop it into a community where, you know, instead of one ride a month, let's try to. The goal was to get four rides a month ride every week somewhere in LA to find people that would lead their own midnight riders ride and you know everybody was like all right you know go for it and they kind of just handed the ride off to me so to speak I mean they still were around and participating but like I said like the the organizers were just it, it was so much work for them that they they just wanted to take a break so I put the website up and sure enough um, there was a group in the valley that posted a ride called Cruise With Us. There was a Hollywood ride called Hollywood Riders. And we had the Midnight Riders ride, which was the second Friday. 
and some group in Santa Barbara posted a ride pretty early on and uh, slowly but surely rides would pop up on the calendar and it was so fun to just see you know because I made the, the, the website and, and really easy you just sign up and you post a ride there's no anybody could have done it and people did you know and, and it was it was funny to see like these little flyers that people would make like you know funny graphics and names and names that kind of bit off the midnight riders like double z you know theme there was west siders there was um cruise with us had double z's and and it, it just started to snowball into you know what it is today which is like four or five rides every night so you could say that your main contribution to Midnight Riders has been through the website? I'd say, yeah, my main contribution was through the website. Other than just, like I said, like being there during the first couple years as, as a supporter and, you know, like I threw a ride, I think it was like ride number nine, the strip ride. But other than that, I think my main contribution is through the website and, and, uh, and getting other people to throw their own rides. And it's... It's become like this phenomenon for LA. Like there's this, like I said, there's there's now fast-paced ride. There's different rides every night, four or five rides, everywhere in LA County, um, down into Southern California, down in Orange County. Um, there's there's now different kinds of rides. You got your fast-paced rides. You got your exploratory rides. Your your uh, um, like bar crawls and and so forth. Would, would, that, would those be the three categories? <laughs> um, there's daytime rides. There's, I don't know, you know, I think that's probably the major categories. Okay, it was bar crawls, daytime rides. Maybe bar crawls shouldn't be one, but I guess it is. Shouldn't be one? I mean, there's also, like, the issue of people just getting drunk on rides and and i wish that wasn't such a problem sometimes but it can be so is there like is there like somebody who's the adult at midnight riders who's telling people you know you gotta you gotta be courteous and things like that it's all written out on the site i feel like a lot of times that person is me but there's other there's other people i mean there's the mamas and the papas have grown into a large group. There's ride leaders, and there's there's ride leaders in every category. Even the youngsters have their ride leaders that subscribe to, you know, the the air of respect and making sure that we're not. We want to always be ambassadors, you know, and always encourage people that see us to join us we don't want to create a bikes versus cars thing we want people in cars to come join us you know and we're not no one's being criticized for driving their cars all day and then getting on a bike and coming and join us just as long as you come join us you know i drove my car to the start like two miles for the first two years probably or first year at least before i started realizing oh i can just ride my bike there you know and that's how it goes. You get into this thing, you ride for a year or two, and then you kind of get launched off into your own world of riding bikes more. And that's kind of what Midnight Riders does for the bike community, I think. It, I think it gets you excited about it. 
and then you do it for a while and then you realize wow i could ride my bike you know to the store i could ride my bike to the to go get lunch instead of driving and then you know and people spin off into their own you know their own little ride groups and and uh networks and so forth and you know maybe people are are being empowered to do what you eight people did the first time you did a midnight ride yeah definitely i mean there's new rides popping up all the time where somebody just i get emails too like hey i want to start a ride what do i do log in post your ride people will come if there's only eight people on your first ride that's awesome that's what we started with uh, so now you know I, we, we got this idea of bike bus you know social social rides uh, for commuters commuters you had this idea <laughs> <laughs> yeah early on on the website I think before it was before it's time it was like well why don't we do group rides to work you know and we tried we I mean I just think the density at the time wasn't enough but I think it's it's time now and I, I love this idea of the bike bus and uh, I'm willing to do whatever I can to help. Okay. Um, so, do you see bikes as do you see bikes as um, like a solution of some kind to yeah many things? You wanna you wanna hear the solution that bikes are? It starts like this. You we have these problems in our country. We have health issues we have obesity issues we have oil wars we have high taxes that go straight into a military budget we have waste uh, we have traffic problems so the bicycle will solve all of these problems if you ride a bicycle instead of driving your car you are not only solving a traffic problem you're solving a pollution and an obesity problem and through solving that obesity and pollution problem you're also solving your health problems and and when we solve those when we work on those issues there's less uh, the the less that we drive the less pressure there is to get cheap gas and that cheap gas is what keeps us in these oil wars if we're if we're riding our bikes and spending you know we spend a, we could spend a little extra time riding your bike to work sure it takes a little longer sometimes you know sometimes i can get from silver lake to the beach i can during rush hour i'll get there faster than you can you know even if you take the freeway i'll probably get there faster it's like 45 minute ride but all right we're going to pause here for a second cuz we do have a caller we're going to pause the roadblock interview and we're going to talk with... Hi, caller. Hello. Who's calling? Jean-Pierre. Oh, great. Um, and what are, you, what are you calling about today, Jean-Pierre? And I like to ride the bike. I enjoy your show. And I'm hoping more people can uh, ride the bike and um, maybe we make the world a better place. Cool. What, what rides do you like to do? Uh, you know, I mean, any, anywhere to go to work, to go to, to front house, it's better than, you know, every time you turn on the car, you burn the gas, it's not good for the world. That's well said. Thank you. Um, so, what else would you like to say uh, today as we go back to the roadblock interview? You just, um, well, I just want to say thank you for putting on a, a good show and, um, you know, 
many blessings and and may we may we all come together and and uh, have the logic instead of the, the madness. Wow. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Jean Pierre. Okay, have a good day. And we just had Chicken Letter come in. Chicken Letter, uh, we're going to go back to the Roblox interview, but did you want to no, say I, hi? I, hi there, folks. Um, I, w- I was up pretty late last night. There, w- there was an event over at the Flying Pigeon that we were trying to uh, get to you uh, digitized, but um, sadly we don't have it right now um, about uh, bike infrastructure. We'll probably have it for you next week. The reason I mention it is because uh, usually you, you – Try to get just home sometimes without some of the shenanigans or antics that uh, a city sort of lends itself to. I'm talking about like cars swerving. You're kind of expecting that and maybe the odd person on a cell phone that's still making a call while he's making a turn or something. But you never really expect people to, to like, um, following you and accosting you. Uh, it's happened to me once before and I thought it was the route, but then I realized it's just people on a Friday night sometimes. Uh, I, I don't know what fun they got out of it, but uh, uh, more more power to them for all the fun that they can equate with uh, bringing havoc to, to people's lives. Uh, uh, what what I really want to say is uh, there were a couple kids that were really scared, and I, I met them, and I sort of got them back to their house without any kind of sh- uh, shenanigans. And then, um, lo and behold, um, I, I'm giving you a stern warning I, I posted on facebook last night i i did it on a couple other things uh called up bennett and he he posted it too uh just uh that uh there were some people on the river route that were uh uh they said about seven the kids i don't know if they were exaggerating but i'd like to think they were honest uh and uh there were about they were they were saying that uh, guys were trying to jack bikes so keep that in mind when you're riding um I, I know that there's a, a lot of issues with theft right now, but uh, it's almost like carjacking in my in my point. In fact, I, I put it on the same level as uh, somebody stealing your basic transportation, uh, whether it be a car or a bicycle or something. And so um, this was last night in the middle of the night, but uh, I like to think to be alert uh, always. Uh, I took a different route and finally found some uh, uh, highway patrol sheriffs that were able to uh, give some assistance, at least verbally. Uh, they They were sort of... I guess they're always in fear, and they really hate talking to people, which is kind of like the wrong thing you want for a, a public servant. But, uh, you know, at about 20 feet, I, I told them what was going on. Uh, I don't think I looked too ridiculous. I had a, a suit jacket, didn't look homeless. But then again, that's that's up for uh, debate. But uh, I, I was able to yell across this void that, uh, that in fact, what had happened. And they, they said they were going to investigate, but... Uh, I also made a call into a couple other um, people, social networks, and, and what have you, and, and tried to uh, at least. And we did get it posted last night, so that that was the little bit of the incident that went in. And of course, you come home, and uh, the welta started, so it was like getting no sleep. But that's 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 normal. It's a no sleep weekend for us here at Kill Radio. We also have a benefit tomorrow night uh, on a. On a brighter note, but uh, that's it. I've walked into the studio. Let's get back to the, the roadblock interview, and then we'll we'll get to uh, uh, a couple things that we did last week that we'll try to fit into the program. Here you go. Thanks. We'll just go back to the roadblock interview uh, in progress. By you, you mean the driver? Yeah. You know, a driver will get from Silver Lake to the beach. 
during rush hour, let's say you want to go to Santa Monica, I mean, 45-minute commute, that's not bad, right, by car. Mm -hmm. You can do that by bike in 50 minutes, you know, if, if you're not blasting. But, uh, so, anyways, the, there's, there's so many issues that can be solved by just taking your bike or public transit. Our, our rail lines out here, our transit, you know, um, they can get us, you know, if you, if you think about using the bike plus the metro rail, you can get to pretty much any region here, um, except for the west side, but that's going to change soon with the expo line. But you can get to any region, and then you take your bike for the, for the last two to five miles. And you can get somewhere in about the same time you can get somewhere in a car. And I think people should, should can, I hope they, they continue to think about this as, as our streets get more and more clogged with uh, car traffic. I did not ask you about your ride, your signature ride. My signature ride, Wolfpack Hustle, is, that's, that's my blood right there. <laughs> Um, I've been doing that ride for five years, um, every Monday night we do, it started out as a 20 to 30 mile ride, which we thought was a big deal back then. And, um, it's a fast paced ride and it's it, not, what's that? It's not a big deal. 20 to 30 miles. Yeah. That's not a big deal anymore. I mean, not for Wolfpack. Wolfpack started doing... We were starting to do 60 to 70 miles. It was getting ridiculous. But um, that's where it is now. When when we first started, it was a bunch of hipsters on fixed gear bikes. I don't ride fixed gear, but my partner in crime did. And uh, it, was, it was kind of this empowerment ride where it was like, let's see how fast we can get somewhere, you know on our bikes and this this isn't like a slow social ride where no one was drinking and you can't drink when you're when you're riding fast it was it was more of a workout than anything else and um over the years we we started developing you know there, when we first were riding it was kind of this wild in the streets kind of blast through lights you know through car traffic just go crazy get to the next stop as fast as you can and over the years, we've developed strategies for that, like that are really that keep everybody safe. That's that's the most that's become the most important thing on that ride is to keep everybody safe because the last thing we want is yeah. for there to be a crash, and we don't want people to be like, oh, those wolf pack guys. I you know, it, it was gonna happen. We want them to say, wow, those guys are actually really safe. You know, so <clears throat> I think I still think our ride is the safest ride out there because there there aren't people that are drinking there we're very disciplined about staying in the right lane um our strategy towards red lights is timing the lights so we look ahead we see if it's a stale green or a fresh red stale red that sort of thing you look ahead about an eighth mile and check the status of that intersection and people are calling everything out, slowing, stopping, cars right, cars back, cars left, holes, holes right, middle. 
Um, we change lanes according to, you know, what the traffic's like. We'll get in the left lane the whole ride. We'll get in the left lane, left lane, left lane, wide right, wide right. You know, there's, there's all kinds of vocal cues that we use yeah, as we get the group through the city. And timing the light is one of the big ones. It's like slowing, time it, time it. When it's, you know, and then it goes green, going, going, car right, you know. Um, when we when we see the police and, you know, we, we definitely want to have a good relationship with the police and, and they, you know, we have our lights, we have our helmets and um, we're just moving. You know, sometimes we'll get a cop car pull up next to us and, like, just roll with us, see how fast we're going, you know. And um, so definitely a lot of respect for the cops because we, we don't want to be... Uh, you know, we want to stay under the radar. So, um, Towards the end of the night, I mean, when we do, we do it on Monday nights because that's when the least amount of traffic is out there. And towards the end of the night, when it's like 12 or 1 o'clock and the streets are really empty, there'll be some lights that we'll get through if it's clear. If it's clear for, you know, you have to be able to see each way for a good quarter mile. And if it's clear for everybody to get through... And there's no cars. Sure, we'll slip through a couple lights here and there, but the main thing is we respect the Reds, we respect the cops. And there's been a couple times where we'll get through a light and a cop comes up and starts chirping us. And what I tell everybody at the beginning of the ride is like, yo, if a cop comes up and he starts chirping, you know, you pull over. Pull, means, uh, you know, like, whoop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like basically pulling you over for something you did wrong. You know, pull over, pull over right away. In fact, pull over before they even get a chance to uh, tell you to pull over. And they want to know that you respect them. And, you know, I have yet to get a ticket, but, um, you know, the, the if you show them respect and you just, you know, uh, don't don't try to run then they usually let you go. They just look at you and they're like, okay, these guys respect me and they take off. Is running an option? Some some people do it, you know, and that's when that's when things go haywire because that's when the cops, it's like a game to them, you know, like I'll catch this guy. And they usually don't catch the fastest guy. They'll catch the stragglers and then they're bummed. They get tickets. I mean, it's happened, you know. Have, have you had injuries? Um, on that ride, no. I, I I was hit by a drunk driver actually when I was shortcutting the ride. Um, I was trying to catch up to the front pack, um, so I shortcutted up uh, Glendale Boulevard from from uh, Figueroa. And as I was doing that, a drunk driver came from behind and plowed into me, and he took off. And actually, that's what kind of motivated me to become more politically involved was getting hit by that drunk driver and going through the process of catching the guy you know getting justice all those things were so hard to do even though you know I got the plate numbers of this guy he, you know I just happened to like I went up onto the hood crushed the hood the, you know was carried thrown landed to where my face was happened to be in the right direction to see the plate i got six out of the seven plate numbers 
and, um, you know, I was taken away to the hospital, you know, left in the middle of the street, and, you know, this, this security guard came and helped, helped me crawl to the curb, and then the, the ambulance came, and the, the police came, and I told, you know, I kept repeating the plate numbers over and over in my head, because I knew I'd forget them. I managed to tweet the plate numbers from the pavement in the middle of the street, because I was just so scared I was going to forget the numbers. And um, turned out that I did actually screw up the numbers later. You know, I just was lucky that I tweeted the numbers. And um, so next day, get out of the hospital, call up the police. I'm like, all right, you know, let's get to business. I got the plate numbers. You know, you watch these cop shows, and it's like they're, like, hot on the trail. You know, you're thinking these guys are going to go launch an all-out manhunt for this person. And the reaction I got from the 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 police, the cop at the station was almost like, why are, why are you bothering me, you know? He's like, well, you know, how injured are you? I'm like, I'm like, well, I can barely walk. My, my, you know, elbows and my shoulder are fucked up. Luckily, I didn't break any bones. Um, I'm a big guy. I weigh 220 pounds. So, and I've, you know, been skateboarding all my life, so maybe that Maybe the fact that I know how to fall on pavement helped, but I was just shocked. I was like, you know, I have the plate numbers. He's like, well, you only got six out of the seven numbers. It's going to take a couple weeks. You know, try driving around the area and see if you can find them. And I was just like, oh, my God, he's probably getting his car repaired right now. You know, we got to get this guy. And he's like, well, we'll find him. And I was just... I was devastated, basically. But through Midnight Riders, you know, I had posted from the hospital on the thread, like, the plate number and, you know, what what happened. And everybody, like, the whole community was just like, oh, my God, you know, like, somebody actually picked me up from the hospital in the morning. It was awesome. And there happened to be this guy on the on the site who was a lawyer who had a friend in the CHP who ran the plates. It took him 10 minutes found an address of there was like four possible matches found an address two miles up from where I got hit um you know we got on google got on facebook you know with the name the address um I called it turned out to be a sorry I'm spitting on you it turned out to be a uh 2009 Jaguar which is like you know you can't just take that thing to any old car repair shop you know it's it's expensive car like a ninety thousand dollar car so um you know it was like all right let's call up you know some repair shops and see if it's there you know first place i called was rusnak pasadena i was just like yeah i want to find out if my jag's going to be ready and and they're like what's your name i'm all glenn gritzner it's the guy who was registered to and they're like, oh yeah mr gritzner it's gonna be ready on thursday we replaced the bumper the grill the hood I'm like, oh great you know i just want to make sure that the paint is matching and, and everything can i come by and look at it they're like yeah sure it's at this auto body shop and they gave me the address so we went by there and i had a camera rolling and i just walked up pretending to be the owner and talked to the guy repairing the hood, you know, I was just like, oh, so, 
He's like, yeah, look, see, the grill's replaced and all this stuff. I'm all, great job. Thank you. Filmed the license plate number. Took all of it in. Maps. This guy's blog. You know, his criminal record, which he didn't have Wait, one. the guy had a blog? He had a blog. About what? It was about downtown nightlife, and his logo was a martini glass. Wow. And he's actually, he's actually a lobbyist. He's actually known in city hall circles. Against drunk driving laws? No. He's actually, um, he was with the LAUSD. Him and his wife uh, had some high position in the LAUSD, like the board of directors or there something. There you go. <laughs> um, but now he's, he's with a, a, a lobbying firm that's owned by uh, Fabian Nunez. Hmm. And uh, I just saw him downtown in City Hall just the other day, actually. It's kind of funny. But say hi to him? No, no. We've only made eye contact once before when we were in arbitration because he finally did get convicted, and he finally had to settle a civil suit with me. So, um, you know. Did you get a good settlement? It was a good settlement. I, I'm, I'm satisfied. I mean, it enabled my bike bum lifestyle for another, you know, period of time. So. More than a year? Less than a year? More than a year. Man, yeah, that's, that's unbelievable that something like that happens. And you, you just need to have a friend with the CHP <laughs> yeah. to get it done in a few minutes. Yeah. And otherwise, it's several weeks. I've actually caught two more hit-and-run drivers since. This is like my new favorite hobby. You know? <laughs> Bounty hunter. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it. Like, another... My friend Annie was hit, and the driver took off, and she gave me the plate number. I posted it on Midnight Riders. Sure enough, an anonymous email came in with a name. No address, just a name. And I did some deep Google hunting, found about six addresses... We went out at like five in the morning, Annie and I, to you know, and we we finally found you know at the fourth house we went to there was the car, and passed the info on to the uh, attorney. Sends a letter out, and the driver's shitting bricks, you know. That's all shitting bricks. That's the. Was there? A I mean, this guy, the guy that hit. Ongoing. It's I I don't know if it's settled yet. It was about a half a year ago. These things take like a year and a half to settle. So this this guy Glenn Gritzner, um, I know he was shitting bricks because we you know a letter was sent to him within five days to surrender his insurance, and um, he called his insurance company and confessed to hitting me, and the insurance company then alerted the detective that the detective would have to subpoena this statement, which actually was an error on the insurance company's part. I've, I've found out so much about hit-and-run cases and issues. Like, his, his uh, confession was not admissible in court because it's, there's an attorney-client privilege between the insurance company and him. So they should have never even alerted the... Uh, the uh, detective, you know, mm. that, that he made a confession. Mm. So it was interesting to find out all this stuff. There's so many loopholes that allow hit-and-run drivers to get away with this, with these crimes. And then there was the, uh, you know, so so Midnight Riders is actually, probably has a lot of functions, but one of the functions seems to be support for people in accidents. And Definitely. You know, 
And and I I think that Midnight Riders doesn't get the credit sometimes that it deserves because I think um, when the news media gets a hold of it, they spend a lot of time trying to discredit what Midnight Riders is. And, you know, it's like these these K-Town riders that got wiped out the other last week. You know, the the police came out and tried to blame it on the cyclists first and foremost, not the drunk driver. You know, and, and, and they they started making excuses for the drunk driver that there was some blind curve. Well, I looked on Google Maps, and, and I'm part of the LAPD bike task force, and, and I was sitting there discussing the case with these detectives, and they kept talking about this blind curve. I'm like, hold on, let's look at this Google map, you know. I drew out a line and measured from the accident to the curve, because, you know, in Google Maps you can do that. It was 1,000 feet. That's three football fields back. So I was like, this, there's no blind curve. It's a straightaway, you know, for a thousand feet. So let's stop talking about a blind curve. And they were like all humrumphing about that. And so the, the, that night, I went out there with a couple of the kids that got hit. Or they were on that ride that got hit. The, the ones that got hit were in the hospital, but a couple of them that were there. Um, I had them hold up some bike lights, stand in the, you know, area where they were standing. And I took my car and I went around the blind curve and filmed everything, the whole run. And you can see very obviously that there was no blind curve. You can see that you had visibility of 600 feet. You know, there was plenty of time for this person to react to these kids who were mounting up, you know, and getting ready to leave from the place that they were at. And and it's it was just wrong for them to for the cops to try to blame the bicycle riders and the media to spread rumors about that. Why do you think they do that? Because I think we have this car culture in Los Angeles where it just, like, they look at us riding our bikes and they think, you know, I've been called a communist, I've been called a hippie, um, you know, People think that you're, you, you, you know, a car is a status symbol in Los Angeles. So if you're riding a bike, well, you're nobody. You're just some broke person on a bike, you know. So I think there's that level of disrespect. I think people, you know, when you're riding your bike, you have this, you know, I think people think that you're this self-righteous person, which in a way you kind of are because you're doing this this thing that's so against the grain here in this city that you're proud to be doing it. I mean, those are basically the kind of people that are riding right now. You're proud to be riding your bike. You're not, you know, other than the immigrant population that has to ride bikes, which is another, um, you know, another reason that, that car drivers look down on bike riders. They associate, you know, immigrants and, and undocumented workers and so forth with bike riding. And those people don't get the general respect of the population. So I think all those issues kind of tie into it to the point where the people in our media who are some of the richest people in our city, I mean, Paul Moyer is probably making a couple hundred grand a year. I mean, that guy is not going to... Yeah, you know, whoever, whoever's reporting on these things, these people are making like 100, 200 grand a year or whatever they make. You know, they've got these jobs that that are very entitled. So they're entitled people that just don't see things from a bike rider's perspective. They're, they're seeing things from the, the status quo, 
and they look down on bike riders and they don't understand you know what what is this what is bike riding why why are these people on bikes i don't get it they should be driving cars they should be driving a nice new car you know so i i think it's a lot of class and race issues that that tie into why the general public looks down on bike riders i feel i mean i don't know maybe i'm wrong maybe the general public doesn't look down on bike riders but whenever we get media coverage it tends to be it tends to be negative. I mean, at the scene of this, you know, this drunk driving crime, the the reporters showed up and there was a police officer who was spreading rumors that condoms were found at the scene. That was something that was reported in the media. I mean, think about it. Like, if you're a reporter and a cop comes up to you and says, well, you don't know the whole story. There was condoms found at the scene of the crime, you know. And the reporter is just like parroting these words. Oh well, you know, we were told that condoms were found on the scene. Well, what the what the fuck does that have to do with, you know, this crash? Oh, oh, they were they they were having a, you know, a what were they having? If it, even if it was true, were they just having safe sex in the middle of the street and that's why they got hit? They deserved to get hit because they had condoms on them. Like that's a useless piece of information. Yet these reporters just brainlessly repeated that you know and it it came off to me like okay i think the police was trying to you know uh even how do you put it i mean they were trying to defame these bike riders or to dirty up their image so that there wasn't as much sympathy for them or so why would the police do it i mean i get why the entitled reporters would do it I think the police. You're on the bike task force with the, when you work with the police. Did yeah. You, you get a sense of the the dynamics. There are some police that that are friendly to bike riders, and there are some police that just hate bike riders. You know, because bike riders are a scrappy, loudmouth bunch of people. It's you know, like there's a lot of bike organizations out there that are that are very strong-willed. You know, and and they don't take, you know, it's like we criticize the police constantly for their their ignorance on the rights of bike riders. A bike rider has the right to take a full lane. A bike rider has the right to, um, you know, be in the street. Period. And a lot of cop, uh, a lot of cops don't understand that. And and there's a lot of people that are vocal and in your in the cops face about that so maybe there's tension there there's tension when the cops see a thousand bike riders in the street you know there's tension on that so uh, those I think that stuff is is starting to get better but it's still there's still a bias there so backlash blowback do you blowback, think that yeah. maybe these group rides are they are they doing more more harm than good or more good than harm with with the reactions that they get I think it's both I think some some group rides are conducted very respectfully and some group rides aren't and that's that's the uh, that's one of the one of the issues that comes up on midnight riders all the time it's like some some people because it's an open invite ride some people start a ride and it's it's chaotic you know and there's there's definitely an issue of like it's like a parenting issue like you have to talk to the ride leaders and and love them into the format which is 
we're not disrespectful. We are, you know, we're trying to respect everybody out there. And it's just the same issue that you get, you know, you probably run into these issues at, at school where you have kids that show up that are unruly and it's like, how do you get them to become, you know, to be more behaved and to focus more on studying than screwing around? You can't call their parents, though, on a group ride. <laughs> you can't. Well, uh, I've had to actually, on Wolfpack, I've had to actually be a, uh, a like, act as a guardian for this one particular kid um who was he was like 17 years old at the time and he got pulled over for uh running a light and uh he you know it wasn't anything he didn't do anything crazy it was like a side street and he just went through a light slow speed and this cop pulled him over and he was underage and it was just like i'll be his guardian and so forth so i had to like show my id and everything (laughs) So do you have plans for the future of uh, Midnight Riders and group rides in general? The future of Midnight Riders is going to be in the second version of the website, which is it's going to be more of a functional website. It still will have the calendar and the forum and the gallery, but it's going to also have a route map gallery. It's going to have, um, uh, instead of... Instead of, uh, let's see, it's it's actually going to do things to facilitate what you're talking about, the bike bus, which is functional group rides, you know, versus just party rides. We're going to try and and, and uh, embrace or to provide tools to the community to, to use as functional tools. Like, I want to be able to have people build their reputation as route route masters you know like someone like ingrid peterson who was the one who championed the fourth street bicycle boulevard um she knows you know she's a really relaxed rider she's one of my favorite route route masters she's got routes that go from echo park to the beach where you're riding down side streets and it's flat and it's real calm and beautiful roads with few cars on it i want to know her routes you know so she should be able to get on there and draw out her gallery of routes east west north south so she'd be a good person to talk to about bike bus yes she would um so you're gonna so midnight riders is just gonna continue to grow and expand and meet more needs and um, that we don't even know about yet yeah that's the plan and uh we're also gonna take midnight riders on the road more we've done these uh group trips um for the last three years we've hit portland san francisco new orleans new york miami um, las vegas san diego where we take you know we swarm to a city and we usually rent a house or people set up their accommodations and we get together and do group rides and check out that city you know there's no better way of being a tourist than by than on bike you really get into a city and new orleans was beautiful we were there for new year's met up with the black label crew from the east coast did some bike jousting freak bike event and then we toured new orleans sat on the mississippi watched fireworks you know checked out a an abandoned power plant climbed up in there and just saw the 
the greasy, gritty underside of the, that city. You know, went to the Ninth Ward. We had we had a person out there on a bike give us a tour of the Ninth Ward, and you know, he was really educated on the levees, and and uh, you know, he he was a social worker from the area, so he was able to tell us stories about you know the the, the hurricane, you know, Katrina, and it was just amazing an educational experience. So we want to replicate that. And you did that in New Orleans and which other cities? New York, um, uh, New York, New Orleans, Portland. We go every year. Um, San Francisco. We went for the 15-year critical mass celebration and various other times. Las Vegas, San Diego, uh, Miami. Um, and how do you get there? Um, when we went to New Orleans, half the group went by van and half went by train, and then a few others went by plane. So usually some kind of combination of trains and caravan. Um, Salt and sea. Oh, yeah. I hear a lot about that. It's pretty amazing, huh? So um, I... I, I don't know how I'm going to edit this interview. So it's way too long. That's <laughs> very long. So, but I mean, it probably um, you could make a um, a series. So uh, the Roadblock series. So there's one last thing that I know about you, which is your North Ridge. Is it North Ridge or your North Ridge uh, neighborhood council? Yeah, like so, I said, like after going through that hit and run I became more politically active in city council and so forth I was starting to anyways like the more the, the morning that I got hit I was in the city council chambers you know making public comment for more bike infrastructure is kind of a funny coincidence but after that happened I got even more involved and um, yeah I'm on the neighborhood council in, in Northridge and uh, I started a blog called Safe Streets Northridge, which focuses on the the streets in Northridge and making them more bike friendly. Um, they happen to lay in some bike lanes in front of my mom's house, which was a traditionally the street in front of my mom's house is a big wide street, and there's there was a problem always of car crashes and speeders and. When you really look at the statistics and get into the the nitty gritty of that street, it it's amazing. Like five people died on that street. There was three hundred and something crashes on that street in a ten year period, which is just and it's a residential street. So um, when they striped in these bike lanes, they also took out two lanes of traffic, and it became this big controversy in the neighborhood because Porter Ranch, which is a community to the north, like everybody up there was up in arms about it because it it slowed down their you know their little speedway and um there was this like backlash against the the bike lanes that was happening and the councilman was like trying to get the bike lanes overturned and so forth and i got really involved i started petitioning you know i went up and down the street and petitioned every single house that was in that two mile stretch that got restriped and found I was kind of afraid of what I'd find because you know who knows how what people what kind of support there is for bikes out in Northridge but 
it was I think one person didn't like the bike lanes. Everybody else was like, they saw the benefit of, wow, this street that we live on that traffic typically goes 60 miles an hour on now it's slowed down to 35 to 40 miles an hour it's a much calmer street we have a uh you know they put in a center turn lane which made it easier for people to get in and out of their driveways and there was a lot of benefits to it and that voice was being actively suppressed by the councilman by you know all the other powers that be in that neighborhood so i took up the cause and i i uh you know they at first they blocked me from being part of the process of there was a process put out put together where they were going to go back and and take out these bike lanes and so forth and i was demanding a seat on on that committee that was going to oversee this and they wouldn't let me on even though i had gathered signatures from every single house saying you know that specifically to put me on as a as their representative mm -hmm. and uh i was blocked from the the first meeting what grounds did they have i mean the councilman claimed that i couldn't come to the meeting because the neighborhood councils you know they appointed members to the committee and i wasn't appointed by the neighborhood council but the neighborhood council was mostly people that lived to the north outside of that area and there was nobody on the neighborhood council that that lived on the street so it, it was wrong it was wrong of 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 that councilman to block me and i i didn't i didn't get in his face about it but i i came down there and i brought the petitions and and was just like here you go like i'd like to be part of this and they said no so i left and then I think like he had a change of heart. I mean, I know he had a change of heart because he called me up and personally apologized and invited me to the next meeting. But by the time I got, you know, by the time the next meeting happened, the the alternate plan was already set, and um, it was just a corrupt process. The whole thing. I mean, you could talk for days about all their little efforts to get that get those bike lanes removed. But at the end of the day, the bike lanes stood. They made it, but and and mostly it, it it still worked out. So I feel like it was still a victory, even though they they did change some of the configuration. Okay, so now you're going into politics. <laughs> I mean, you know what the the stance that I have, the pro pedestrian, pro transit cycling stance, is not a popular stance amongst i think political leaders and this car centric city but if you go ultra local it is a popular stance so maybe you know i mean you talk to somebody that lives on a street that's affected by a configuration and they are all about you know having a calmer street in front of their house but you talk to that same person about a street you know that's on their commute, commute. <laughs> then it's a different story right. you know so that's a tough that's a tough uh battle to to wage you know how do you get people to support safe streets everywhere not just in front of their house so it's more it's like in my backyard yeah it's not, not in yes yes it's it's um people want safe streets in their backyard but not in not in your backyard right. yeah they want to just 
go right through your backyard as fast as possible. Yeah. I mean, in arguing with these people from Porter Ranch, it was like, hey, I'd like to speed in front of your house at 45 miles an hour. You know, and then all of a sudden they're like, well, well, you know, move. Don't don't live on a street, you know, that, that has, you know, don't live on such a wide street. And you're like, well, yeah, okay, I'll move out, but somebody else is going to move in, you know. So you're, the problem is not going to go away. What, do you want people to just retreat into their houses and not enjoy their neighborhood? Okay, well, thanks a lot, uh, Roblox. I don't know if, I, if that's a stopping point or... But yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, it thanks. is Kill Radio. Awesome interview. Uh, thanks, man. Okay. You're gonna have to cut that down on, on the internet. Movies. And this is Bike Talk. Um, <laughs> That'd be good. Webcasts <laughs> on KPFK. Actually, saw their little logo. So, somebody, you know, instead of having the um, schedule for Laker games in the little slot a uh, Metro, they had the schedule for KPFK, which I thought was kind of cool. Okay, so that was the Roadblock interview that I did about a month ago, and I thought it was a good interview. I, I thought it was good, too. And we're going to actually talk to somebody about the very issue that Roadblock ended with, which is about calming, calmer streets. Yeah, last night I was able to get over to the Flying Pigeon, which is actually trying to do that uh, in line with some of the bike plan uh, routes that are being planned in northeast Los Angeles. Um, it, it's funny because there's a whole slew of plans that addresses uh, what we would call the lower end or the southern end of, of uh, Figueroa near SC, but there's very little that goes to the northern end, where and those people felt left out. We're going to talk more about it, and we'll get into that next week, but right now on go. the line we have... Is this Daniel from Cycle? Yeah. Hey, Daniel, how you doing? Hey, hey you can call me Dan. Okay, Dan, cool. Um, so I, I'm going to call him Daniel. Well, I'll call you Dan. And uh, so we're talking, of, we just had an interview with Roadblock from Midnight Riders, and we're, he was talking about street calming and how, the, you know, everybody wants, if it's a local issue, everybody wants traffic to be calmer in their street, on their street. But if they're driving somewhere, they don't want it to be calmer. They want to be able to go as fast as they want. And his question was, how do you get people to support safe streets everywhere, not just in their backyard. Well, I mean, I think that, like, the, the speeds on the roads aren't properly enforced in Los Angeles, so we get used to driving much faster than we should be anyway. Um, and if you think about it, like, when you're um, on the highway, like, the traffic is, is normally moving 10 miles, maybe 15 miles faster than the posted speed limit. And then when people get dumped onto the arteries, they're just, they're, they want to move just as fast or maybe a little bit slower. So I think it has to do with uh, the, relativity, the relativity of the speed that we're traveling at. Um, it, would be, it would be great to see some of the speed limits be enforced a little bit better um, just for everyone's safety. And uh, I did notice in 2008 when gas spiked that people were trying to hypermile and that speed did reduce quite drastically on the highway. It was actually really pleasant um, to, to be a bicyclist and to even drive only during that time. That's interesting. Um, gas prices actually affect the speed people drive at. Yeah, yeah, and I think that was that was something that I thought was great during the um, that that peak in gas. There was a lot of articles um, informing people about how to do alternative transportation, how to use public transit, how to use bicycle transportation, and then there was also all those hypermiling tips. And one of the, the major tips on hypermiling was 
just drive the speed limit because most cars have uh, peak efficiency around 50 to 55 miles per hour. Um, and so you saw people doing that, and I, I felt like it just created a calmer environment and there was less cars on the road. It was kind of, and people were still moving around the city. It was just in different ways, and they were moving slower. And I mean, if you're, you shave a few miles per hour off your car trip, you're not you're not going to get there an hour later unless you're traveling a long distance. It's only going to take a few minutes, but it, it makes everything a lot more pleasant. Yeah. Um, so you went to a meeting last night that Chicken Leather was at uh, with Northeast Hollywood Neighborhood Council and Cycle at uh, Flying Pigeon, right? Yeah, yeah, it was, it was great. Um, I mean, Joseph hosted the meeting at Flying Pigeon, and and there was there were some great people from the neighborhood there, and and we had a good discussion about what we would envision for um, a transformation for Figueroa on the North Figueroa Corridor. Okay, North Figueroa Corridor, where is that on Figueroa? So that that's actually the, the part of Figueroa that um, basically starts at Colorado at Eagle Rock and goes all the way down into like, the park. To which park? The, the Cypress Park and, and down to Lincoln, Lincoln Heights, so like down by the Home Depot. Okay, so this isn't even in Figueroa in downtown or anything like that. No, no, that that's actually the that's the there, there's a My Figueroa project, which is um, the Figueroa corridor by USC, but this is this is in Northeast LA, and it, it actually is one of the oldest neighborhoods in Los Angeles historically. It runs along the Royal Seco and the 110 Highway, um, and so there it used to be a really vibrant community um, in terms of it still is a vibrant community, but the Figueroa. And our neighborhood used to have lots of shops, lots of pedestrian activity, had streetcars, and people were going to the, the historic Highland movie theater. It was, it was actually um, a destination to, to live in and to, to, to actually work in in Los Angeles. It was one of the, the first neighborhoods. And so the, we were basically talking about how do we bring some of that back because the foundation for that is here. I mean, we have... We have the, the streets laid out that way. We have the, the buildings that are kind of dense along this, this corridor of Figueroa. And so how do we bring back the, the foot traffic and how do we make it safe for bicycles? Because as it is right now, you know, Figueroa is used almost as a, a secondary road to the 110. So, you know, people get off and kind of drive down um, pretty quickly to, to downtown. It's, it's, a, it's an easy way to get from um, like the San Gabriel Valley route downtown, and and so we're we're trying to think about how do we bring this back to where it was so businesses could thrive a little bit more and people could feel safe walking around and it's safe for for children and families. There's there's um, multiple schools along the route, and and as it is right now, it is a little bit unpleasant to to walk on the street and try to talk and you you could forget outside seating for restaurants and cafes. It's just too noisy and, and too congested. Um, and so we, we think it would bring an economic benefit and also uh, a revitalization benefit to the neighborhood. Well, I think you every, so everybody at the meeting was in agreement about the need to do this, but maybe there was some different ideas about about how and why and and what what were some of the ideas that that came up? Yeah, so there, there was there was different ideas. I mean, I think that there's some people that want to see the sidewalk extended and and be more pedestrian friendly, and then there's other people that really felt like a, a bike lane um, would would make this better. Um, there was a lot of support for uh, a protective bike lane. I think that you know we've seen with other road diets that the, the bike lane 
and it doesn't isn't really protected on the street, and it doesn't make it the traffic much slower. So there was we there was a lot of thoughts about making this more innovative. Um, Joseph brought up that the fact that there this is a, a high um, route for for bus traffic, and that we could have um, little archives archives for the bikes to pull into, so it's easier and safer for people to ride the bus. We were figuring out. So there was a lot of um, interesting ideas, and I think. The overall idea that I got was that people wanted to, to actually make this a little bit more innovative and not just a road diet where we strike bike lanes, but let's really think about this. And if we're going to spend the money on the project, how can we make this um, more beneficial to the community? So how do we take into account the schools and the businesses and the, the bus traffic? And, and really, how do we, if we're going to put money into the, the road to put bike lanes in, maybe we could do something like they did in Long Beach where they have uh, the greenways, or maybe we could do something in New York where they are using the car parking as a buffer between the bike lane and the sidewalk. So I think that there, there's energy here to, to do it a little different in the community. So you are looking at other models in other cities? Yeah, and I, I think that's, that's going to be the, um, the challenge and maybe the exciting part of, of getting the community together is to, to show people what's done in other cities and, and helping them to re-envision the um, the block and and the corridor because I mean I think that you you know if you think about bike lanes like in this neighborhood they they did a bike lane on on York Boulevard and so people may think oh that's that's what a bike lane is you take out a car lane and you stripe you just put a stripe down the side of the road but but we could really make this more of a, a multimodal project and a complete street project um, if we kind of energize the neighborhood around it and people are asking for for these changes. Well, uh, this is Chicken London now. Dan, um, there were so many different ideas that were floated last night. Did any one idea could it grab your mind? And then I know that afterwards there was even a, a, a series of, like, what would you call this? We were trying to, to like, sort of solidify naming it. But uh, getting back to the first question, anything grab your, your attention right away? Um, you know, I, I actually, I, I really, I, I live in this neighborhood, and the, the there was a comment brought up about lighting on the sidewalk and how um, businesses that are open later actually light the sidewalk and make it make it safer. And, and that's, that's something I've noticed. Like, even when I was riding my bike home from the meeting, it was 8.30, 8.45 at night, and the street was pretty desolate and dark. And I saw, like, a, a mother and uh, a young child, like, kind of, like, hustling along the side of the block, and it was dark. And they were they were trying to cross the street, and the, the the traffic signal wasn't long enough. And I just felt like on a Friday night at 8:30, there should be people all over the street, and it should be well lit. And the like the people shouldn't be like rushing around because they're afraid to be out in the dark or they have to cross the street fast. Like it it really should be a vibrant and safe like corridor where people could get off the the Highland Park train stop and visit our neighborhood and and spend money shopping and go to restaurants and go to the movie theater. I mean, we have that foundation there. So I really like the idea about making it a friendly place for people from other parts of the city to come to and visit. That was, uh, uh, just to touch on that, there were some historical photos. I, I, I don't know if they got them from the Dennis Crowley uh, thing or some foundation or, or whatever, but there were just massive amounts of people on this, and this was like in the 1800s. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I, car, I, mean, I think there was even a bicyclist, and it was like everybody was trying to figure out what kind of bike it was. And I said, instead of trying to figure out what his bike, look at the fact that it is a bike. 
back yeah. in the 1800s or 1900s. Or... Yeah, and, and there were also, there's talks about how there was even um, a large department store in the area that people remember right. going to. Yeah, and I thought that was like awesome, yeah. that people used to come to our neighborhood to, to go shopping to get tuxedos and, and like wedding dresses. Yeah, years before... Um, uh, Target and everything sort of like took that line of, or the, that individualism in, in um, retail out of the equation. So now you have to literally sort of seek these little places out in the middle of nowhere. This wasn't a little place, and, and it was a destination for this. And we're, we're talking fine, uh, almost like the the delat of, of our section of uh, the country, you know, the... Um, you know, fine kind of uh, 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 liniments. I mean, everything that, that somebody could wear there. Very, very yeah. commendable. Yeah, and, and also, I mean, these small businesses are the engine of our economy. Um, you know, if, if, and that's regardless of what people like in Washington want. I mean, these are really what like helps the middle class. And I, I was reading an interesting analysis that showed that car transportation takes about $7,000 each year out of the local economy per car. And so we really should be, like, fostering local businesses in each neighborhood. I mean, that's, that's really the way to get the, the money to stay in the neighborhood because then those, those small business owners will live in the neighborhood. They send their children to the neighborhood. They'll spend their money in the neighborhood and just gets recycled. And we really don't want to see those dollars leaving and going to other states or even other countries, which is, is happening right now. Right, and and that was one of the views. I, I know that I, I got a chance to talk to a, a couple of different people there, and they were really. Uh, I, I think they liked the idea of not only discovering these these places within their city, but but actually frequenting them mm-hmm. afterwards. Uh, uh, a couple of women came up to me and said, "Whatever happened to Ride Arc?" And I said, "Well, you know, that was just one person, but they they liked the idea of that." And the the other idea was, like you said, it was a safety issue with with lighting and stuff. But it it woke me up to the fact also that it's it's not just about safety for bike riders, but safety, like you said, for pedestrians and what have you. And I, I'm looking at this not just as a safety issue, but as a, a public service thing. People say, well, we're saving money by taking some of these grids off off of these things. But I know that in other uh, places, it's almost like you walk into the room and the lights come on. Uh, you oh. could do that with with the big lights out there on the street, but nobody's really thought about it. And so it'd be like, oh, when people are on it or there's movement, the grid goes on. And when people aren't, the grid goes off, and you save power that way. This is a high-tech solution to something that, you know, instead of just leading burning or something. And, in fact, there, there was discussion about that and discussion about, like, well, all the copper is being stolen. This yeah. would be... You know, uh, I'm looking at not so much designing it so as it just solves the, the the crime thing, but it also, if you if you put in solar and other things, it it's always there. It's not something that you have to make lines to or anything. Anyway, yeah. uh, it, it, that, touching on that, there's there's a couple other issues with cycle that we want to touch on. You, you've got a couple rides coming up. Yeah, well, we have a, a really big ride. Um, it's going to be great. Tomorrow afternoon, we're partnering with the Santa Monica Museum of Art, and we're going to do our third annual Florida Arts, and uh, it's a bike tour to cultural institutions in Santa Monica. Um, we're going to listen to some world music at the Broad Stage and Jazz on the Green uh, at City Hall, and then we're going to bike back to the Santa Monica Museum. 
and we're going to have a bicycle bell ensemble where each rider is actually going to get a bell, and we're going to get conducted into one large musical ensemble. So it's going to be uh, it's going to be really fun, and there's actually a spoke card workshop um, that starts at 12 p.m. and then the ride will start around two. So you get to make your own spoke card, huh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they really tried to like make this um, as uh, as like engaging the the participants as possible. So if you're making your own spoke cards, you're going to be part of the art, like when we were doing the bell ensemble, and then we're going to you know ride to cultural places in the city. So it's really engaging people in the community and into the the art itself. It's really cool. Now, now, see, you're getting into a niche that I've I've sort of touched on, but I, I find it a little, you know, I, I just think it's great people ride bikes. But uh-huh. people used to show up to events and they go, where's the spoke card? And it'd be like, well, dude, you got to do the ride before we're going to start breaking out spoke cards. And yeah, it, it was no, funny yeah. because people get all, all in and attentive about, like, what, what's the mylar thickness on your spoke card? And I'm going, <laughs> what does that matter? It's a spoke card. And, you know, you could get really defining so i'm going to save all this embarrassment have you been researching this do you have a thick enough spoke card to withstand the rest of the tour here you know i i i don't know i mean i think that it's like we have <laughs> what do you mean you don't know i don't know i, I mean i i don't I, I don't i'm not a collector myself but i i think that someone will probably email me and, and, and let me know i always get an email if something like that <laughs> Well, okay, that that being said, it sounds like something that's not only going to be uh, sort of fun-friendly, but family-friendly, too. It's like you could take your kids to this, couldn't you? Yeah, yeah and that's really what we try to do with the Cycle Urban Expeditions. We, we want them to be family-friendly, and we really we want to be the, the, the you know, bike organization that you feel comfortable bringing your kids to and your, your, your friends from out of town and your family, your parents. I, I mean, they're really... They're, there's no pressure, and it's, it's such a leisurely place ride um, that I really like. It really should be for everyone, and that's that's what we believe biking should be. I mean, a lot of times when I talk to people, they say, "I love to ride my bike, but I'm terrified of going out in the street and competing with traffic." But and I always ask them, "Well, you know a route to your local post office or convenience store that's on uh, back streets that's quiet that would be pleasurable to ride?" And they always say yes. And I'm like. We'll just do that once a week, and it really is that simple. It's just those those, those easy rides and the, the things that make your life better and kind of just take one car off the road for one trip, and that's really what we're trying to promote. So um, we we have some old, and I don't mean old, but some vintage uh, kind of selections from Cycle and some of the rides you've done. And just out of curiosity, I opened one up and found that uh, – you had included a book about Hollywood for your Hollywood Tweed Ride. And um, quite honestly, I was so involved with all the rest of the things that day that I only now got to look at it. It's very inclusive about the history of Hollywood. I'm wondering, were, were you, uh, do, do you look at these rides as like, uh, I mean, obviously there's, there's a lot of thought going into this. There's a lot of yeah. people that are involved in things. Yeah, we spend a lot of time like planning out our rides and, and trying to, to bring people to something that is exciting and interesting and, and give them an opportunity to learn something about the city. Um, I'll, I'll let you in on, on our next ride. I'm actually putting the final touches on a um, ride called Made in Los Angeles. And we, mm. I, I mean, I'm really, I've been thinking a lot about the job situation and the economy like everyone else. And I really wanted to bring people to places in Los Angeles that are, 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 
are making are making products and and they're actually making them in Los Angeles. I think that's really cool, and I think that like kind of bringing people to those places and having them learn about the factories and um, the commercial businesses in Los Angeles would be would be really like beneficial to them and and it's something that we don't think about like as consumers in Los Angeles. Well, well, ha- having said that, that kind of touches on the other part of your ride. Um, I, I like to think that it's not just about getting people entertained, but also um, you, you're talking about getting them employed almost, like what, what people do, and, and these are the destinations. It's like the products they make and, and the arts they manufacture. And, and with that, that gets to the second ride, I guess. You, you're, I guess, partnering with uh, the bike oven and doing a ride um, for the Bike It, which is, uh, I guess, an art installation that's going on uh, coming up this week, right? Um, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, did I get it wrong or? Are you talking about the, the bike kitchen or? Yeah, yeah, Kelly Martin's. Uh, oh, bike kitchen, photo. yeah, in September. Oh, it's September. Oh, I thought yeah. it was coming up this week. It's, it, well, she's got these things out a month in advance. That's pretty, see, I'm always used to working with Brett Barber from the bike film festival and I get like maybe three days before his event. <laughs> So no, like I got I got nervous for a second. I was like, I'm doing a ride. <laughs> oh, oh, so you, oh, I was scaring you. I, I can I can hear your blood pressure sort of shoot up. Yeah, I was like, uh, no, no, it's in it's in, it's in September. Okay, and, so uh, we've got some time before that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but okay. I, I call it and talk about that. But yeah, I just I I mean, Kelly is a member of the bike community, and she she's doing a art uh, installation at the Armory for the Arts, and we're going to do a little bike tour, um, oh. and it's. And it's really about, again, it's, it's about um, engaging people in the community and showing them what other people in the bike community are doing and, and also as a celebration of people in the bike community because their her art features some of the, the people like Liz and Shay in the, the bike community. Right. And, and Dan, just just on a, on a personal note, the last time you were out there, you, you talked about taking your, your family or whatever. You, you showed up with, like, siblings, uh, significant others. It, it, was, it was pretty amazing, and you were – you know, I think the first question you is, where's where's the Yuba to carry all the the thing? Because when you go out with that many people, it's almost like you're packing the SUV for like a trip, and you want to include roller skates and everything that people have. But then you realize you're you're on an art bike ride, and you don't really need to bring all that stuff. All this stuff is sort of provided for you from uh, great places to eat to great things to see to uh, the only thing you have to add is a little conversation or or um, some serendipitous amusement when you when you see these things so yeah yeah go ahead no no i mean i, I think that uh you know for the for our cycle rides like the cargo bike the yuba is great because i could carry all of the gear like the waivers and the walkie-talkies and everything we need like to set up the ride but um when i'm participating in other rides around los angeles um sometimes it's nice to to not have to worry about all that extra gear and and just like be part of the, the moment. And you're right. I mean, there's there you don't have to isolate yourself and have like yourself prepared with food and and like you know all this extra gear all the time. Like you can just kind of get immersed in the moment with a bicycle and uh, you can pull over to the side of the road because you're hungry and there's a cafe and like there's there's always people that have there's someone on the spoken art ride that rides around with cookies on their bike and you can buy a cookie from her. So it, it's kind of like you're you're thrust into this environment that you know you're always connecting with people and, and things in your community that you really 
like don't need much. Like you're, you could just be put into that situation. This last time she she had, I I don't know if it was creme brulee or or something, but it was of that level or consistency. It was just it was ridiculous. It was like a food orgasm. Yeah, so, no, I, I give her a lot of credit because I think that, yeah. that that's really that's really what we should be doing too. And I, again, I don't want to keep talking about the economy because I'm not like a politician, but like coming up with innovative ways to make money is is really what we all need to start doing now and and really engaging one another. And I think that uh, the woman that makes the, the cookies on that ride is a great and innovative way to share like her talent and her passion and make people happy. And so it's like she's she's really she, she's like focusing on this niche market that like wasn't being satisfied. It's not being satisfied by like a Target or a Starbucks. Like they can't come on a ride, and that's really how we should be thinking too. Yeah, there, there's uh, also the couple of, that uh, do ice cream, um, mm-hmm. and it's all natural kind of things. It, it's it's kind of strange though how if you do things on your bike, people sense that it's like. Well, why aren't you doing this out of a food truck or a car or something? Are they just missing the whole point? Uh, I, I really think sometimes just just getting out there is is the great thing. Just to see, like, wow, it's on a bike. Oh, this is fantastic or something, and it and it just sort of lends itself uh, to to the rides and to the environment. Um, yeah, I mean, go I, ahead. No, I mean, I think that that. I, I, when I first moved to Los Angeles, if it wasn't for the bike rides, and I tell people this, and I, I really mean it, but if it wasn't for the bike rides, I, I don't think I would have made it out here because I wouldn't have discovered the, the fantastic things about the community um, before. Like I was just overwhelmed by maybe like the traffic and like just the, like the hustle bustle of the city. But I, I went on the bike rides, and I just I saw all of these like amazing like nooks and corners of the city, and it, it made me just like fall in love with Los Angeles. Yeah, I think people miss the fact that when you're on a bike, you're able to, to and I, I don't mean this to be uh, uh, sort of uh, repressive of people that sort of whiz by on their bikes and stuff, but sometimes you slow down and you can do things like, like right now we're smelling outside the food trucks or something, but on a bike you do that too. You tend to, you know, get away from the exhaust sometimes, and you get to a point where you, where you can actually uh, experience the city and stuff. Yeah. Okay. Well, Dan, we want we want to thank you for calling in, and we look forward to the ride tomorrow. And we'll try and get out there. Awesome. Uh, awesome. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Dan. All right. Take care. Take care. Great. Great call. All right, so we got just a couple more minutes, and I think you got a bunch of stuff that we wanted to mention. Um, let me see. Uh, besides the fact that today was the, um, Eric hasn't called in with his report, it's the Welton. We can understand it's day one, and they had the time trials. And I, I think uh, for a while it was Lepard uh, Trek sort of leading the way uh, up and until uh, – I guess the uh, you in a time trial you have to have at least six people cross the line and I think it, uh, or five people cross the line and the fifth one is the one that the last one in is the one that the time is given to and for the longest time like I said Trek was uh, leading the thing and then uh, of course towards the very end uh, liquid gas came uh, that's that's a bit why I was late because I was trying to watch the reports that were coming in live um, but as you know this is if you, if you don't have cable I guess it's on cable now they sort of gave it a uh, a spot on the repeater and stuff. Uh, the 4.4. If you if you have like myself uh, a, uh, a a box, a digital box, 
it's um, that station that gets scanned in there. Usually it's uh, art or weather, and then they, it, it's become the universal network, and they've been, they're going to be covering the Welta for the next uh, three weeks. So we'll be having reports. And if you want to watch it live, I think there's even a way to do that on streaming. But for me, live means, uh, you know, 7 o'clock in the morning is early enough to watch the, the feed from Spain. It was very picturesque, but they were talking about the heat and, and a lot of the, the just to sum it up, um, a lot of wrecks, a lot of breakdowns the first day. Somebody went sideways on the bike, and they were sort of surmising maybe the uh, skewer wasn't tightened enough. And I, I know that's happened on um, – some of the bikes we prepare uh, over at the bike oven where somebody doesn't tighten the, the skewer, uh, quite honestly, you tighten it up enough, and then that last flip should uh, put an imprint on your hand. And without uh, giving you art lessons or mechanical lessons over the air, we, we can show you at some point this if you, if you want to come down to this, and I'm sure one of your local co-ops can do the same. Well, that's, that's about it for me uh, on, the, on the quick out. Uh, we'll, we'll get to some of these other issues next week. Uh, here you go, Nick. All right. Well, thanks, Chicken Leather. Uh, I really think that's about it for today, and uh, I think it was a reasonably good show. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for, uh, for everybody. Uh, thanks for Dan calling in. Thank you, Roadblock, for doing the interview in the first place. And also, of course, at the beginning we had uh, the Hubway featured from Boston. You weren't here for that, Chicken oh, Leather, okay. but that's pretty cool. I know who they are, though. So uh, once again, make sure to take in your your environment and um, um, if try to avoid the danger down the road. And this would be the point where the music would come up. <laughs> but um, I, I guess I could hum. With that being said, there is an MC battle tonight at the firehouse. There is a grand prize of $100. Wrap <laughs> against the bike top. Here. Yeah. I'm riding my bike. <laughs> <laughs>